Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to be able to resume this study with you that we started a few weeks ago in our uh, adult Sunday school class. Um, we're calling this series The Marks of a Healthy Church. And I'm actually happy and sad at the same time. I'm happy because we get to go over this very important topic and get back into the flow of our study again, but I'm sad for the way that we're having to do it, like this, online and not together. But I remind myself that the Lord is not hindered by any of these means at all. His word is as powerful as ever, and I just trust and pray that he will bring his word to bear on our hearts this morning as we go over the next mark of a healthy church in our series. Now, just in case you're a little bit confused on where we're at, last week's video online was kind of a rerun, if you will. It was a rerun of the last time that we had Sunday school together. And during that lesson, we were on the second uh, mark of a healthy church called Biblical Theology. And we had about four weeks of lessons on that topic alone. And also before that, Tim went over the first mark of a healthy church called expository preaching. And if you haven't heard this entire series, the internet has now made you accountable. You can go back and listen at your convenience, either on the church website or on our new podcast format. Uh, by the way, on that podcast, we will include the sermons during the main services as well as the Sunday school lessons, so you can find it all right there. I think that'll be a valuable tool for many of us. So just some quick background um, for any of you who are kind of jumping in with us in this series, kind of in the middle and haven't heard any of the other lessons. We are basing these lessons from a series of books from an organization called Nine Marks. Nine Marks is a parachurch organization. That just means it's an organization that comes alongside the church to help provide resources, teaching, articles, books, journals, online stuff, and all that just to help churches. And their mission statement goes something like this. Nine Marks exists to equip church leaders with a biblical vision and practical resources for building healthy churches. And they put out some excellent material. You should definitely check out their website, ninemarks.org. Um, but one resource that has been especially valuable to us in this series um, is a book series that is called Building Healthy Churches. It's about 11 or so, I think, short little books that go over various topics that relate to building a healthy church. In fact, the two that we have been recommending to you to read for so long that are at the church, the church membership book and the book on evangelism, are in this very series that I'm talking about. But in this, in this day and age when there's so much talk and effort to build big churches with lots of people, it's refreshing to see an organization that isn't so much centered around building a large church, but instead is centered around building healthy 
and biblical churches that bring glory to God, no matter their size, could be big or small. So that's what they do. Uh, Nine marks. Go check them out. So with that being said, and with credit uh, being given where credit is due for much of this material, let's just dive right into our study for today. Let me just lead off with this. I trust that each and every one of you has a desire to be a part of a healthy biblical church. Search your heart. Is that a desire of yours? I trust that you're not satisfied just to be part of any church, but that you want to be a member of a healthy, God-pleasing, biblical church that exists to make Christ name and his gospel known to the world and is seeking to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to teach the Bible faithfully and all these things. If you want to be a church like that, if you want to be a part of a church like that, then guess what? It is each of our responsibilities to do our part to make this church, Jackson Bible Church, a healthy church. And I believe that the first step to doing this is to learn exactly what it is that actually makes a healthy church. Do you know what it takes to make a healthy church? What are the marks of a healthy church? And if you do know them, or if you say you know them, What criteria are you using to come up with those marks? Is it based on your opinions or is it based on your preferences? Or are you getting those marks from Scripture? Well, don't worry if you don't really know what makes up a healthy church. That's why we're teaching on this topic to help help us all out. I think it's a topic that's really been taken for granted and it hasn't been given much thought today. And if we at Jackson Bible Church are going to be a healthy biblical church where the gospel goes forth and where we all flourish spiritually, then each and every one of us needs to know and consider these marks in this series and how we are responsible to uphold each one. So I really hope and pray that when we are able to come together again after all this is over, that every single one of you will make it a priority to first of all be there each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. so we can study this topic together as a church. I'm praying that'll be the case. So, having gone through several weeks talking about expository preaching and having taken another several weeks to talk about biblical theology. Now we enter into the third mark of a healthy church in our series, and here it is. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. What do we believe? What do we believe about God? What do we believe about ourselves? What do we believe about the world that we live in? What do we believe about where this world is headed and how things are going to end? All that has to do with doctrine. And I don't really know what comes to your mind when you hear the words sound doctrine or just doctrine. I don't know if you have a negative view of that 
or if you have a positive view. In other words, I don't know if those words make you think boredom, stale, egg-headed, uh, seminary professors, church divisions and fighting over doctrine. I don't know if you think that type of thing or if you have a very positive view of doctrine. Maybe some of us love doctrine and we love learning doctrine, but we just find that it's hard to get it from our heads to our hearts and to really live it out. Wherever you are in that spectrum, I think that this portion of our series will be a help to you. So here's my goal with this section of the series. My goal is to convince you that sound doctrine is essential for living godly lives, and therefore it is essential for building a healthy church. And we'll take a couple of weeks and talk about different aspects of this topic. So here's our two main points for today. Number one, sound doctrine is for the life of the church. And number two, sound doctrine is for reading and teaching the Bible. So let's jump in and begin with that first one for today. Sound doctrine is for the life of the church. So first of all, for doctrine to be useful for the life of the church, it has to be useful for life in general, right? So I'd like to take a few moments to talk to you about how practical sound doctrine really is because some people don't view doctrine that way. When they think doctrine, they're thinking theological facts from the Bible that no one really ever uses in their day-to-day -day lives. It's just a really impractical thing. But what I'd like to propose to you today is that doctrine is the very foundation by which our entire lives are lived. Let me just say that again because it was a big statement. Doctrine is the very foundation by which our entire lives are lived. All of us, all of us operate day to day with a set of principles in our minds. We have a set of beliefs. We have a worldview. And it doesn't have to be written down in some formal way, but we are all every day making decisions and prioritizing things in our lives based on a set of beliefs. Beliefs about a lot of things. Um... Who are we? Why are we here? Is there a God? Who is he? What is our relationship to God? Why in the world is the world in the shape that it's in? Why are we in uh, the situation that we're in right now? Where are we at in the grand timeline of history? Where are we headed Tons of questions, but we all have beliefs that we operate from. And we might not realize it, but at least subconsciously, we are making decisions based on those beliefs about those questions and more questions. Everyone does this. The atheist does this, and the Christian does this. What you believe about those bigger, big life questions determines a lot of what you do, how you treat people what you think about yourself, how you view the world, how you view God, and so forth. 
And guess what? All those things stem from doctrine. We all believe a set of doctrines. The question is, are we going to believe what is true and real? Or are we just going to believe what we want to believe without any real authority on the matter besides ourselves? In other words, is the authority that we appeal to going to go no higher than ourselves? Or will we appeal to a higher authority, namely God, who has given us his authoritative word? Well, I trust that I'm mainly speaking this morning to Christians and that you value God's word. I know that you do. And therefore, you want to get your doctrine from Scripture. And in this study, we are discussing more than just mere doctrine. We are discussing and studying sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? What does that qualifier mean? Well, when we say sound doctrine. We mean it in the way that Scripture uses that word. When Scripture uses, in our English translations, when it uses the phrase sound doctrine, the Greek word for sound actually means healthy. So sound doctrine equals healthy doctrine. Doctrine or beliefs or teachings that are healthy for us, spiritually speaking. Why are they healthy for us? Because they were given to us by God himself in his word and because they help us live healthy Christian lives to God's glory. And healthy Christians make up healthy churches. So the bottom line with sound doctrine is that we want to believe what God has told us about this world and himself and so forth. He is an infinitely more reliable source of information than you or I. So let's get our doctrine from Scripture, and if it truly does come from Scripture, it will be sound doctrine. Now, I do want to give you kind of a a short definition of sound doctrine so you can kind of hang on to it. Here it is. It is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. That's the, defin- def- that's the definition that's given to us in the wonderful little book that we're using to get a lot of this information. And I think that is a good definition. Um, think back for a moment when you were in school and you were having a vocabulary test, if you remember these things, vocabulary tests. Um, your teacher would give you a set of vocabulary words to learn And if you really knew what each of those words meant, you would be able to summarize in your own words what they mean, right? That's kind of a good test if you understand something, you can put it into your own words and still be accurate. That's what sound doctrine is. It's taking what the Bible teaches on any given subject and summarizing its teaching. And it takes into account the whole Bible, Sound doctrine is not based on one verse, right? That would be very dangerous to do that. Um, But what we do is we read the whole Bible and we take into account everything that God has said about a particular area of life and we summarize it and try to encapsulate what it teaches as a whole. That's doctrine. That's what our church 
doctrinal statement does. If you go on our website, you'll find a section called What We Believe, and it has some important big topics listed there, like the Word of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, man, salvation, the church, and many others. And what we seek to do in a doctrinal statement is to summarize what we believe the Bible teaches about those subjects. And many of the good historic creeds and confessions do that very thing as well. You can search online, for instance, for um, something like the Westminster Confession of Faith written in 1646, or you could search for the Second London Baptist Confession written in 1689. And those confessions are summaries of what the Bible teaches as a whole on important topics. And those are useful to read, and you can learn from those so far as they are faithful to the Scripture. And I believe those two are good ones. Um, I've said all this to reinforce the first point that we're on right now, that sound doctrine is for the life of the church. Sound doctrine isn't something that we tuck away into the darkest corner of our website where we hope no one ever reads it and no one really ever talks about it. No, on the contrary, sound doctrine is actually what infuses each one of us and equips each one of us to live the Christian life as faithfully to our master as we possibly can. Sound doctrine is what a pastor uses to nourish a congregation. It's what your Sunday school teacher uses to nourish you. It's what our Awana teachers use to nourish and teach our children. Sound doctrine is for sermons, for small groups, for informal house meetings. It's for personal conversations. It's for prayers. It's for songs. The list goes on and on. Sound doctrine has to flow through the church's veins if it is going to be a healthy church. Let me give you an illustration. Bobby Jameson gives this illustration in his book. Think of a medical doctor for a moment. Doctors have to make very complicated decisions on short notice with a lot at stake, right? And what enables them to make sound decisions is an extensive knowledge of the human body. A doctor can't know that a person's liver is failing, for instance, unless they know what a liver is and how it's supposed to work. And that's why doctors spend years and years studying human anatomy and physiology so they can make an accurate diagnosis and prescribe appropriate treatments, sometimes with life-saving consequences. And in many ways, the Christian life isn't all that different. We all have to make complicated decisions in real time sometimes with a lot at stake. And there's not an easy formula for some of these decisions that we have to make. So what do we need? We need wisdom. 
But what is that wisdom founded upon? Wisdom is founded upon a bedrock of knowledge, knowledge of the things that God has revealed in his word. So just like a doctor draws upon his or her extensive knowledge of the human body to make decisions on how to best treat a patient, we as Christians draw upon sound doctrine, our knowledge of what God has revealed to us in his word, and we use that to make decisions about anything and everything that we will deal with in this life. Bobby Jameson says this in the book as well. In Scripture, God tells us about who He is, who we are, where we've come from, what's wrong with this world, how God is fixing it, and more. If we're going to live lives that please God, these are the things we most need to know. Did you get that? What we most need to know in this life is sound doctrine. Just like it would be crazy for a doctor to go into surgery to operate on a patient with a condition that he knows nothing about, it would be crazy and foolish for us as Christians to try to negotiate life and order our lives and make decisions and prioritize things in our lives without a bedrock, a foundation of sound doctrine from Scripture. Sound doctrine is like the base knowledge that we operate from. It's the foundation of everything else in the Christian life. Now you might say, all that sounds very individual. Isn't sound doctrine something that we can just learn on our own? What does it have to do with the church? And I think that's a common question or a common attitude at least, especially in America where we're all very independently minded. Um, if we're going to use a sports analogy for a moment, many people kind of view Christianity more like a solo sport rather than a team sport. In other words, it's more like surfing, for instance, or golf um, rather than basketball or football. We think of our walk with the Lord as very something or as something very individual. I pray. I read the Bible. I attend the worship service. I love my neighbor. I share the gospel with others. And it might help to go to church and have Christian friends, but mainly it's just me living my Christian life, right? But if you read scripture, most often the Christian life is actually characterized more like a team sport than anything else. Now, sure, there are certainly individual elements to it. For instance, each of us has to turn from our sin and trust in Christ to be saved. That's an individual thing. Each of us are accountable to God for what we do. But the majority of the Christian life is actually corporate what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures. I hope you have your Bible there handy with you. Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me? Ephesians 4. And I'd like, I'd like us to notice how Paul describes Christian growth here. Let's read Ephesians 4, 
verses 11 to 16. Listen to how Paul describes Christian growth. The Bible says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see what he's saying there? He's saying our individual Christian growth is very closely tied to the body as a whole. The members of the body help each other grow, if you want to say it that way. And I've said this before, and I'm not sure who I heard say it this way first, but it's a great statement. Sanctification, the process of becoming more Christ-like, sanctification is a community project. To go back to the sports analogy, Christian growth is a team effort. We're not just a bunch of disjointed body parts growing all separately. Scripture likens us to a body. We are members of the same growing body. Your growth and my growth as a Christian is very heavily dependent on the church. We need each other to do what God has called us to do. You can't do it on your own, and neither can I. Let me draw from another passage. Maybe jot this one down and look at it for yourself when we're done. It's 1 Corinthians 12. I'll just summarize some of the things that Paul says there in uh, verses 14 to 26. As members of the same body... We can't separate ourselves from the body. The foot can't say, for instance, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It's no less part of the body just because it's a foot and not a hand, right? He says that in verse 15. He also teaches that we can't live like lone rangers. He says the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. That's verse 21. He also says that since we are each members of the same body, we must care for all the other members. He says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Verses 24 to 25. And he also says that our lives are so intertwined with each other that when one member weeps, we all weep. And when one member rejoices, we all rejoice. He says in verse 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. 
If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do you see how Scripture portrays the Christian life with all these body metaphors? And we didn't even have time to look at the other metaphors that communicate some of the same things in Scripture, like likening um, Christians to a family or to a house or to a structure built with living stones. All these metaphors point to the corporate, the group, the corporate nature of the Christian life. We're in this together. So what your life looks like day to day should, in a lot of ways, be structured by the life of the local church. That means that sound doctrine is not something you just learn and try to live out all alone. Sound doctrine is something we all learn together, and we live out all together in a community of believers. We are taught sound doctrine by our leaders. We talk about sound doctrine with each other. We edify and build up one another with sound doctrine. So sound doctrine is for the life of the church. Sound doctrine is so important to the life and health of a church that you could say it this way. You throw sound doctrine out and we don't even have a church anymore. What we end up with is a, at best, a false church. Think of it this way. The gospel itself is doctrine. It's sound doctrine. And if we get the doctrine of the gospel wrong, then that means we begin to teach a false gospel. And what that leads to is false converts, people who think they're saved but they aren't because they don't know the true gospel. And if you have a a church full of false professors, not only do you not have a healthy church, but you really don't have a church at all. So I hope you see how important sound doctrine really is. Everything else is built around and upon sound doctrine. Now let's move on to the second point that I want to bring out today. It's sound doctrine is for reading and teaching the Bible. Let me just try to segue into that point with another helpful illustration that Bobby Jameson gives in the book. Think for a moment about a master jazz saxophone player. In jazz, much of the music is actually improvisation. In other words, they're essentially making up what to play as they go along. And if you listen to a skilled jazz saxophone player, it's like watching a masterpiece being painted right in front of you. There's almost something magical about it. It it sounds spontaneous, but at the same time, every note sounds like it should be there. sounds inevitable almost. Good improv can also sound very complex, but a good player will just make it sound effortless. And even the player themselves might not even know exactly where they're going as they're playing until it gets to those moments in the musical piece. But with all that said, while it might sound like pure magic that they're making up this wonderful piece of music right on the spot, they're actually operating 
on some very technical work that's being done behind the curtain, so to speak. They're operating on an extensive knowledge of jazz music theory, or what you might could call a set of musical rules. They understand harmony. They understand melody. They understand how certain notes or certain musical lines will fit into a chord structure and where it might lead a person's ear and how it might satisfy the person listening. All that goes through their mind. So there's more to the magic than just pure spontaneous improv. There's a lot of practice and there's a lot of technical knowledge at work behind the scenes. Now, make the jump from that example to the Christian life again. Just like with a jazz musician, there's a lot going, going on behind the scenes in the Christian life. A mature Christian is always working on mastering the Bible. Or really, the Bible is always mastering them. <laughs> but they know how to summarize its teaching because they're constantly studying doctrine as they read the scriptures. So in the Christian life, when we sometimes have no idea what's going to happen day to day in the providence of the Lord, the Christian makes decisions on how to handle each situation with sound doctrine. Just like the music theory is the foundation to the jazz solo, so is sound doctrine to the Christian life. So first let's talk about reading, and then we'll talk about teaching. And I love again what the author says here in the book, so let me quote it for you. He says, Ultimately, the goal of reading and teaching Scripture is to love God and our neighbor better. And the way to love God more is to know God more. It's true that a person can learn theological facts about God without loving Him. At the same time, you cannot love God without knowing Him. And to know God, you have to know things about Him. If you love your wife, you'll want to know about what she's like, what she loves, what she hates, her past, her plans for the future, and much more. In the same way, we who profess to love God should learn all we can about Him. That's why sound doctrine is an important goal of Bible reading." End quote. Now, we just finished talking about the topic of biblical theology, which was very much about helping us understand that the Bible is one unified story that culminates in who Jesus is and what He's done. But now, in this section about sound doctrine, we might say it with this addition. The Bible is a story that teaches a message. The message is essentially what we would call the gospel. So as we read this epic story of the Bible, we are learning facts about a lot of things. And those facts build a foundation about who God is and who we are and what's happening in this world and so forth. And so as that foundation is laid, that's sound doctrine, it acts as a guardrail for us when we're continuing to read the Bible. 
The more we read, the more sound doctrine we learn, the better we are to interpret harder passages, harder portions of the Bible, because we know what it said in another spot that was crystal clear, and so we bring those concepts to bear on this difficult passage, whatever we would be reading at the time. So it's like a big cycle. The more we read, the more we understand, the better we will tend to interpret what the Bible means. And it just keeps us from wrong thinking about the Bible. It keeps us from believing false doctrine outside of the Bible as well. So as a listener, as a reader, sound doctrine gives you the criteria to discern the true from the false. Uh, Whether it's in a book that you're reading or an article that you're reading on the internet or if it's in a Facebook post online, or whether it's from a preacher's sermon. And the more we read, the more sound doctrine we learn. And that knowledge ends up becoming part of the actual lens through which we continue to read. And it actually becomes the lens through which you view the entire world around you, including yourself and including God. So... Biblical theology and sound doctrine kind of work hand in hand as we read the bigger story as this story of Jesus. It's constantly teaching us. It's teaching us who God is, what he's done, who we are, what kind of problem we are in, why our world is like it is, where this is all going to end up, and so forth. Those are all details that we find in the story. Another way sound doctrine is for reading is that it acts like a minesweeper for what we believe. Because of sin, we all have wrong ideas about God. Sometimes those wrong ideas go unchallenged for years or even decades. Perhaps something you believed your entire life is actually contrary to what Scripture actually teaches. Sound doctrine is like a minesweeper that finds those bombs of error hiding away in your mind, and it corrects them. It also exposes our blind spots. It also corrects our imbalances. Perhaps we have emphasized a part of Scripture, one aspect of its teaching to the neglect or maybe even to the denial of another aspect. So reading the Bible and letting it teach us sound doctrine exposes those things and corrects them. Now, lastly for today, sound doctrine is for teaching the Bible. You say, whoa, I'm not a teacher. I don't want to be a Bible teacher. Well, let me put it this way to you. You might not want to teach a theology class to a class of Bible students, but Every Christian should have an interest in being able to read and teach the Bible to others in some capacity. We're all teachers to someone. That's what discipleship is. Part of being a Christian means to disciple others. Now, that might not be in a classroom setting for most of us. It might look like this. It might look like a phone call or a conversation over coffee or around the dinner table. 
It might be a timely word from a parent or a grandparent to a child or to a grandchild as you're playing at the park or as you're walking through the woods or as you're driving the car. Whatever the situation is, every Christian needs the foundation of sound doctrine to be able to read and interpret Scripture faithfully and then to be able to faithfully teach or disciple others with that knowledge. As I said before, whether you're a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or an Awana worker or a parent or a grandparent or just a friend, you're going to be teaching someone what you believe in one way or another. And as Christians, we are to teach others what accords with sound doctrine. Let me read to you what Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 2. He simply said, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. We should all have people that we are discipling. Like I said, maybe it's not a formal thing where you call yourself the quote-unquote teacher and they call themselves the quote-unquote disciple. But healthy Christianity looks like this. Constantly being discipled yourself and constantly discipling others. And those things happen simultaneously. We are all to be being discipled. A big part of that is sitting under the teaching of God's word at one of his kingdom outposts, a church. And we are all to be discipling someone else. Now, that might not mean you have to say, can we sit down for 45 minutes and you let me disciple you? It might not look like that in your life. It might just mean, as I said before, a word fitly spoken to another Christian who might have needed to hear a verse of Scripture from you. Um, perhaps you encourage someone with Scripture. Perhaps you remind someone who is depressed or suffering and you remind them about some of the promises of the Lord. Discipleship takes various forms and we'll actually deal directly with discipleship down the road in this study, but as for us today in our lesson, we each need to know sound doctrine so that we can teach others sound doctrine. Thank God for faithful pastors who teach us sound doctrine. This is one thing that expository preaching does it nourishes god's people with sound doctrine and it connects sound doctrine with sound living it teaches us how we are to live in light of the truths that we find in scripture in other words but rather than speaking to preachers this morning let me just speak to the everyday christian like we all are here is something that we need to understand the primary means that God uses to grow you in your knowledge of Him is your church's teaching. Now that doesn't discount personal study, which is also important, very important. But primarily, God uses the preached and taught word through local churches to grow His people. That's part of that body analogy again. We are taught God's word by a pastor so that we can all be built up together. So, talk about sound doctrine in community with one another. 
Talk about how the sermon might affect your daily life. Think of ways of sharing that with other Christians in the church. Um, the sermon isn't just a one-off event each week. It's more like a stream that seeps down into all the little crevices of your life wherever it's needed. And to get it there, you need to talk it over. You need to mull it over in your mind. You need to reread the scripture that the pastor taught on. Allow the church's teaching and preaching of the word of God to drive your Christian growth. Don't try to do all that all on your own, isolated. Hitch yourself to the church's teaching and dwell on it. Think about it during the week. Jot down notes during the week as you think of different ways to apply what was said to your own life. That is how we will all grow together like Ephesians 4 spoke about. So maybe we develop habits of calling someone and talking about the sermon sometime in the week following the sermon. Um, let the doctrine that's being taught have its full effect in your life. Maybe start a group chat, start a Facebook group, call people, email people, invite people over, go out to eat, go out for coffee. There are tons of options, but God has gifted us with pastors who preach the word to us and who teach us sound doctrine, and that is a means of grace to us. So let's take the teaching that we hear and dwell on it, share it. Let it play out in our day-to-day -day lives with some really focused effort. I don't think that we are taking full advantage of the sound doctrine that we are so privileged to hear week in and week out from our pastor. I don't know about you, but I feel like we could do better in that area. And I think that we, when we begin to do that, when we, when we begin to think of sound doctrine in more of a community, church, family type of mindset, then we might begin to see what Ephesians 4.16 says will happen. Not just all of us as individuals trying to take it all in and trying to grow by ourselves privately, but the whole body being equipped. And when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Next time, we'll just look at some specific areas of the Christian life that sound doctrine causes growth in. Amen. It was great studying this with you. Pray on it. Think about it. Talk about it. Call someone. Spin it out in your mind. Pray with someone over it. Maybe we can develop some habits here that will put our church on the road to being a more healthy church in some of the areas that we could use some growth in. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, although we have been providentially hindered from meeting together in person. We're thankful, Lord, for technology that allows us to meet together, at least in some sense, around your word and around the truth of your word. We long, Father, to see Jackson Bible Church healthy. We long to see believers rooted and grounded and built up in the faith. 
We long to see, Lord, the gospel go forth from Jackson Bible Church with power. We long for the community to see us loving one another under the truth and loving them with the truth, Lord, humbly. Lord, help us get there. Thank you for, Lord, whatever measure of health you have already given us as a church, but help us, Lord, to strive forward with full effort so that we might bring the maximum amount of glory to you because you deserve honor and glory and blessing because you have ransomed a people from every tongue and tribe and nation by the blood of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise Him today. We praise you today. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit and for working these things out in our lives. And Lord, we just pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.